the opening music to The Andromeda Strain, released in 1972, right? Uh, March 12, 1971. The uh, studio that released it and distributed it was Universal, and uh, it was made on a pretty hefty budget for the time, $6.5 million, and the box office was about $12.5 million, so it had a pretty good return. I'm never sure on the box office figures what it includes after that fact, like for royalties and residuals and that kind of thing, but it did okay. I saw it originally in the theater, and I found it to be just really, really well done. Believable. It does have a a documentary quality to it. It really does. The way they filmed it. they, They kept the science fiction parts of it pretty close to what I would imagine could be science fact and uh, you know related to the budget the inner core of the at the end of the movie when he's trying to escape and he's going up that inner core and the lasers are shooting at him yes that they actually built that set and it took six months to build it oh my gosh so a lot of the money I think went into set construction and special effects it's amazing how that stuff is built and then reused and reused. I was watching Turner Classic Movies earlier this week. They were showing the original King Kong from 1933. And apparently those big doors that were uh, holding King Kong out of that uh, compound where all the natives lived, those doors were later used in Gone with the Wind, and they burned them as a part of the burning of Atlanta. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so who knows? They may still have this set somewhere stored and we'll use it later like they did in the uh, Young Frankenstein equipment. Oh, well, and speaking of reusing the sets, the, the, they only had one tunnel. And uh, it was only, it was really only like half of a tunnel. And so what they would do is they would film a scene where the tunnel was painted red. And then they would go off and film some other scenes like in the lab or in the commissary or wherever. And while they were filming those scenes, they would paint, repaint the tunnel a different color. So then they'd go back and film another scene, and the tunnel would be yellow. But it was the same tunnel. Wow, the magic of film. <laughs> I didn't I, know I that. I would have never guessed that. I mean, they, they did a good job of making it feel like it was a multi-level underground lab. I was uh, looking up my usual background information. Robert Weiss, the uh, director had an amazing career. He won Academy Awards for West Side Story in 1961 and The Sound of Music in 1965. And he did so many movies of different uh, kinds. I remember going to see The Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951 with my dad. That was another one of his movies. A talented, talented man. I think he's directed a movie in just about every genre that there is. Uh, and he even says in the behind the scenes video that he did that on purpose and he would approach every movie from, you know, the language of cinema and he would do his best to be true to 
making a really good movie. So it didn't matter if he was making West Side Story or or this movie. It was all about you know making the best movie that he could make. He, he was a he was an amazing director. Kind of reminds me of Ridley Scott because Ridley Scott has made movies in all different genres as well, and I think has a similar kind of work ethic toward you know, being able to make a, a really excellent movie. The only genre that I think uh, Robert Weiss did not make a film in is a Western, but I may be wrong on that as well. He probably did one. I didn't find it. So should we introduce ourselves? We've. Uh, oh, why don't we do that? Yes. Love to just jump right into the reviews. It's, so, it's such a great movie to talk about. Uh, but I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from the Seattle area where we have a sun today. But yesterday we had hail and almost snow, and uh, we've got tulips blooming. But I think all of the plants are confused as to what season we're actually in. Boy, I, I remember those uh, months. I'm Bob Johnson. I'm here in Los Angeles where our tomatoes are doing well, and we wish for more water. Yeah, you guys are having quite the drought. I, I read headlines, yeah. and it's there's a big fight over preserving water to uh, for habitat for fish that are endangered it's, it's yeah like... <laughs> this is the fourth year i guess as i take uh, re do the reading of the drought so and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net or in itunes just search for classic movie reviews and if you're on facebook you can search for us just type classic movie reviews in as a search and you'll see us on there and thank you to everybody that left comments last week. I really appreciate it. And again, encourage encourage you to uh, leave comments because it's a great, fun thing for Bob and I to get those, and it helps to spread the word. We, we are now doing our introductions, much like they do a lot of the movies today. We start the action, and then we do the introductions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the lead cast, one of the things I liked about the lead cast is that None of the actors were like the top popular stars of the time. And I think it added to the documentary feel of the movie. All of these actors had excellent careers. They just aren't the, uh, the big uh, blockbuster stars of the day. Yeah, Robert Wise even said he did that on purpose because he thought, he thought that would lend more of the documentary quality to the film. You wouldn't have somebody like Gregory Peck up on screen. Uh, manipulating those mechanical arms. He thought that would look weird. <laughs> so He was right about that. Um, I remember that I did read the book, Michael Crichton's book, The Andromeda Strain. I had forgotten that, but I read it in college. And that's what prompted me to immediately want to go see the movie when it came out. And wasn't the music appropriate for, this, for the movie? The, I believe his name is Gil Malay. Did a lot of musical scores for films and television. And he did one for our favorite uh, television show, Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Oh, yeah. He, he did the music for that. So right away, he was on my favorite list. Uh, it was a little bit reminiscent of the beginning of Fantastic Voyage, where it wasn't so much music as it was kind of sounds, you know? Yes. Yep. And uh, I, I, I liked it. Uh, there's, another, there's another reference to Fantastic Voyage uh, in the making of the book had the character of Ruth Levitt. Dr. Levitt was, was a man in the book. In the development of the script, they thought it would be better to have a woman. And Robert Wise's initial reaction to that was, oh, no, we don't want to have a Raquel Welch in a submarine situation. 
but then after seeing uh, the script and, and after seeing uh, Kate read as Dr. Ruth Levitt, he, he thought that was a perfect casting and it was, it, it just added an additional element to the movie. And I thought she was one of the best parts of the movie. So did I. She added a note of uh, prickliness to the whole thing. She was more than skeptical. She kind of reminded me of some of our relatives. <laughs> uh, for credit, the screenplay was by Nelson Gidding, G-I-D-D-I-N-G. Yeah, he, that's who it was. And he, and he was the one who had the idea of having uh, Kate Reed as uh, Dr. Levitt. A couple other things I wanted to mention about the casting is that in the town where all the people had died, those were all locals that they had, re- you know, kind of recruited to play the townsfolk. And, you know, they weren't really like Hollywood extras or anything. They just went out to this town that they were filming at and said, hey, you want to be in a movie? You get to play a dead person. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Did it say in the documentary, was that the real name of the town? It probably wasn't the real name of the town, but that's a real place, I, I believe. Yeah, I think it's a real place, but I don't think it's actually Piedmont. Uh, yeah, they did film on location quite a bit. I love the scene when they were driving out in the desert to the, uh, the station, and it, it looked like they were on the moon or something. Yes, And yes. they made a comment that... At least they could have sent a licensed driver to me with that crummy airstrip. They keep personnel to a minimum for obvious reasons. You're lost. No one's been down this goat path for years. That's how it's supposed to look. They spent $50,000 on it. Putting in the potholes? Getting rid of the tread marks. Those big tractors leave a lasting impression. A lot of heavy equipment has passed this way. I like that scene a lot. That coming out to the to the underground lab. Oh, that was great. And then it followed up almost immediately with uh, uh, Dr. Levitt and Dr. Charles Dutton, who was David Wayne, going down that elevator, which looked like a, a storage closet for gardening equipment. <laughs> and off they go into the, into the five-level chamber. Yeah, and Dr. Dutton makes a point of saying, It's no fake, believe me. When I retire, I'd like an agricultural station like this in Alaska. You a sourdough? The sourest. This way. Step in. Cute. But underneath, there's a... (laughs) There's a, a completely a secret underground lab. Uh, the uh, uh, back to the town, the, the little town of Piedmont in the movie. When I was watching it, each time I've watched it, it reminds me of some of the small towns in Montana that I've been to many times. Just out in the middle of the prairie. In this case, I think it was in some foothills, but uh, there's a thousand of those or more in the in the Rocky Mountains. I thought the music was a great fit, as I mentioned, and we talked about the documentary feel. I also liked the story, and I was never sure, and it, and it kind of left it ambiguous, was Scoop sent out into space to just look for life forms and, sci- and have a scientific approach, or was it sent out into space to find organisms that could be used as weapons? It, never, it, it leaves it open... And then it also leaves open whether Arthur Hill, Dr. Jeremy Stone, 
knew more about what was going on than he let on. He was a guy that was focused on just getting the mission done. He didn't want to have any side talk about conspiracies or any of that. He said, we got a job to do. But I just wonder what he really knew. It had just the right element of conspiracy theory for the 1970s. Well, and it came on the heels of uh, the moon landings, right? So, yeah, the you know, there, there actually was a, a real concern, a real scientific concern that the astronauts were going to bring back some unknown biological element, and they did have to go through decontamination when they came back from the moon. But I have to say, my favorite part of the movie was that they had to go through each level. They had to go through a different type of decontamination, and I loved that those parts. And I kind of laughed at each one because each one was like, "What's going to be next?" <laughs> I, I laughed to it. And in today's environment, you know, there was one where they went through the Xeon la- uh, lights thing, and they don't put anything on. They just say, "Close your eyes." I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. What if you don't? Then you come out of the chamber blind. I don't. I don't get that. Today, if that were made, there'd be a lot more. Uh, safety devices used to protect the people well not in that xeon room too i mean it burned off the top layer of their skin that can't yeah. be healthy I, I counted at least five different steps that they had to go through the first one was infrared radiation decontamination room 1d <laughs> and then the second one was this foot decontamination where they had to walk through that liquid stuff yeah that and, was and there was nice. a sign that says do not get in uh, eyes or nasal passage and then there was the body analyzer, and you know it was like a computer voice talking to them, and it, it it was asking them questions, and then it says, "Please answer the following questions: Yes or no? Have you any allergies?" Yes, to ragweed pollen. Okay, I'll repeat for your memory cells. Please repeat your response for our memory cells. Ragweed pollen. This ends the formal questioning. Please undress. <laughs> and the one doctor, uh, James Olson's uh, character, Dr. Hall, makes some smart remark about the woman's voice. And yeah. then this man's voice comes over and says, Time to wake up, sir. Time to wake up, sir. Time to wake up, sir. Hello? Time to wake up, sir. Who are you? Time to wake up, sir. Do you wish something, sir? Your name. Will that be all, sir? For the moment. This is the answering service supervisor. We wish you would adopt a more serious attitude, Dr. Hall. Sorry, her voice is quite luscious. Well, the voice belongs to Miss Gladys Stevens, who is 63 years old. She lives in Omaha and makes her living taping messages for voice reminder systems. Much obliged. If that was a 68-year-old woman in Omaha, man, she had quite a voice. She did. She sounded pretty sexy. She did. Uh, the fourth one was that Xeon Lab apparatus and that helmet that they had to put on, that silver helmet. Oh, that's right. I was thinking of another scene where they just said, close your eyes. That was not the Xeon. I think that might have been the infrared radiation. I'm not sure. And then the last one was uh, 
they have to put that suppository in because they have to kill the bacteria in their gut. <laughs> right. And each of these, Dr. Ruth Levitt objected to and had some smart you remark. You may now proceed to level five, gentlemen. Um, stop by your rooms and insert these before taking the elevator. I have risked drowning in that foul bath. I have been parboiled, irradiated, and xenon flashed. And now you suggest I... I have to. We haven't done anything about the GI tract yet. On level five, we must be as nearly germ-free as possible. Anyone care to join me for a smoke? I tell you, she was... She really was... She was perfect to offset the seriousness of Dr. Stone and Dr. Yeah. Dutton. Dr. Stone was quite serious. Yeah. No kidding. He was really uptight. Do you want to uh, go through a little bit of kind of the plot here? A little bit more of a sequential order? Okay. Uh, the movie sort of starts with the uh, discovery that this scoop uh, has returned from outer space and landed in a little town uh, by the name of Piedmont. And as the uh, military goes there, they see all these large... Uh, many dozens of dead people laying all over the town. So that triggers the, uh, was it wildfire yeah, alert? Yeah, wildfire, yeah. Wildfire alert. And uh, all these scientists and doctors have to be rounded up. One's at a cocktail party. One's about to do surgery. Another one objects because she's running some ex experiment. And they all are uh, signed up to do this. So they're whisked away by the uh, government agents who say that, if they don't come along, they'll come and get them, which is sort of pretty direct. And then they uh, they all get together for their uh, for their briefings and all. Yeah, they get to the uh, compound, and that's where we find out that they have this secret underground lab that's five stories tall. And when I saw the diagram of the lab, it reminded me of the 2002 Resident Evil movie, which has a six story underground compound that looks almost exactly the same as, as the one in this movie. And I thought to myself that, you know, the Resident Evil movies and video games are kind of like a rift on this movie where the virus got out, but instead of killing the people, it mutated them. So I thought there was a connection between this movie and, and that franchise. Boy, that photo that you sent me, sent me of the Resident Evil lab does look like the... Uh borrowed from the wildfire setup. Say they're at the underground lab now. The main part of the movie is them trying to figure out what is actually killing people and how this virus works, if it is a virus. And they discover that it's some kind of crystalline life form that will survive and be able to survive in space. And x-rays and other types of radiation make it grow faster, which is a problem because... They've somehow, this this was really a little bit cheesy to me, but they've been cut off from outside communication because their computer the, has a little bell in it. And when a message comes in, the bell goes off. But a piece of paper, a little piece of paper got stuck between the ringer and the bell, and so the bell never went off. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's been like over over 24 hours without any messages from anybody. And... Before they kind of had lost contact with the outside world, they had they had ordered an atomic strike on the town of Piedmont. But then they discovered that if that bomb actually got dropped, that this virus thing would grow exponentially. 
So then it's a mad rush to try to get them to stop the dropping of the bomb, which they do. Uh, but then the, the the virus mutates. Do you want to talk about how the virus mutates? Well, I was going to back up. There were two survivors of the original oh, scoop. Right, right. Uh, a, a little baby that was crying and an older man who was, I believe, drinking Sterno. <laughs> yeah. which, uh, and had ulcers. So, and, and so they were trying to figure out why did these two humans survive when everyone else died? So that's the part of the plot. They're discovering more and more about that. Interspersed in this is the uh, commentary with the president's advisor and the science advisors back in Washington, D.C. It functions like an atomic reactor. An atomic blast could provide it with enough energy to grow into a gigantic super colony. In one day. You can relax now. We've just left the president. He agreed to drop the No, bomb. you've got to stop sudden talk from being carried out. Now, wait a minute. We're not playing ping pong. We just got through telling the president that you and For his God's sake, go back. It grows when exposed to X-rays or any source of energy. Tell him no. Nuclear device must be detonated anywhere near it. We just found out Andromeda works like a little reactor. Converts matter to energy, energy to matter, directly. But the bomb would only provide a fantastically rich growth medium. Understand? No, but I'll pass along the recommendation. Boss will be pleased to know that he made the right decision on 712 in the first place. Congratulate him on a scientific insight. Oh, and Robbie, you'd better get the atomic self-destruct in here disarmed as soon as possible. Right. I'll start on the clearances now. It'll be done by morning. And uh, that was a little bit, uh, I think, put into the plot to make it seem a little bit more conspiratorial or the president's advisor was a little bit too smug or or uh, condescending to the scientists. And it turns out that it was a good decision the president made not to drop that atomic device, or they'd had a hell of a mess. They would have had Resident Evil. That was the only part of the movie that I kind of didn't like, was the was that science advisor and the, I, I don't know, maybe he was a chief of staff or something to the president. Because those guys were really overacting, I thought. Yeah, they. I think they were. I, they could have toned that back. I, I think that's a reflection of the night, the early, the late sixties, early seventies, when there was a lot of skepticism about, you know, Vietnam and civil rights and the presidency and all of that. You think it's like a character caricature of of those people? I mean, it was it was a little bit cartoony. I thought. I th I thought yeah, I think so. That's my takeaway. I don't think this was made. After Watergate, I think it was made before Watergate. But if it were made after Watergate, that might have prompted some of the uh, the one-dimensional character characterizations uh, for those people. You know, on, on the flip side, though, I, I did like, like I said, I like Kate Reed as Dr. Ruth Lovett. I thought she was a really strong character. Uh, she had an interesting twist in her character that kind of amped up the the tension even more, which I won't mention, but. If you watch the movie, you'll get it. And then uh, Paula Kelly, who played Karen Anson, who was a kind of like a, a lab assistant uh, slash scientist. I'm not sure what her exact title was, but uh, it said nurse in the uh, in the write up I read. She was a really good character too, and I thought she was a very kind of humanizing yes. element in in the cast. She was really upset with. Uh... Dr. Hall, and she wanted to feed the baby, and they, they couldn't because they didn't know if that was part of the cause. I also really enjoyed David Wayne, who played Dr. Charles Dutton. 
David Wayne was in a lots and lots of movies. And there was a scene where there's an accident in his lab and he thinks the virus has gotten out and he's terrified. I'm scared. Oh Lord, I'm scared. You'll be okay, Charlie. We're pumping pure oxygen through your lab now. We know Andromeda doesn't do well in oxygen. He's alive. Where have you been? Poor devil. Look at the way he's breathing. He's scared to death. That oxygen should relax him. Slow down his breathing. No, we want him to breathe fast. In Piedmont, Jackson was cracked on sterno. Sterno acidosis. Acidosis, rapid breathing. What the hell are you doing? Turn off the oxygen. Put him on room air. The baby, he's normal. Cries all the time. Can't catch his breath. Rapid breathing, or it just can't be that simple. It isn't. Dutton, I think rapid breathing helps. Don't let the bug in your lungs long enough to penetrate blood vessels. I want to turn off the pure oxygen, then you start breathing room air as fast as you can. No! No, I, I was running a test in here. The air is thick with Andromeda. Experiment with your own life, damn it! He did such a good job of showing that terror uh, as they talked to him over the video, because uh, he, he, he knew he was going to die. I actually thought the acting was really top-notch, except for those scenes back in Washington. I thought they could have really toned that down, but Everybody else was really convincing and making me think that, yeah, this is uh, life or death. And there was a real possibility at the end that the virus was going to escape and get out into the wild. I thought those scenes in the central core at the end when Dr. Hall... Dr. Hall was climbing to get to the to the turn-off device because he was uh, the odd man. He wasn't married and didn't have a family, so they yeah, gave the him the key. Yeah, the odd man hypothesis. I love that. Keep this with you at all times. What's it for? You're the odd man. The key man, quite literally. This other key and wildfire itself depend on your key. Wildfire is equipped with a nuclear device for self-destruct. In an emergency, it's activated automatically. I've just inserted the key in the main station that arms the mechanism. Device is ready for detonation. When? Never, we hope. It only goes off if there's danger of infection breaking out from here. That silver key can't be removed. You're the only one who can disarm the mechanism by inserting your red key in one of the substations located throughout the facility. Now, there's a five-minute delay between the time detonation locks in and the bomb explodes. That gives you a chance to think and please, God, call it off. Look, I'm the new boy here. Why me? Because you're single. Should have done your homework, sport. Page 255. Robbie's odd man hypothesis. Results of testing confirm the Robertson odd man hypothesis that an unmarried male should carry out command decisions involving thermonuclear destruct contexts. Let me take a look at that. If there was any possibility of a virus escaping, then it would automatically do a five-minute countdown to self-destruct. And, and guess that, what? Again, and again, if that happened, that would be really bad because this thing thrives on radiation. And there was a five-minute countdown. <laughs> oh, he got there just in time. He had eight seconds to spare. It reminded me at the uh, end of that where he turned it off with eight seconds to left to, to before it went off to the uh, movie Goldfinger. James Bond yeah. movie, where yeah. they're, they're at Fort Knox. I think it's the one where uh, James Bond turns off the atomic device, like with three seconds left. 
I tell you, these people leave no room for error. It's a little bit cliche now because it's been done so many times, but you know, it's still an effective plot device, I think. Everything about this movie is A plus for me, except the white, the uh, advisor scenes. A couple other things I wanted to mention. There's, there's just certain scenes that I loved that I really, really thought were some of the better scenes in any movie. But when they first come down to that level one of the underground lab and, and they, they start walking down, it's all red. That was really good cinematography and set design, I thought. And another one was the projection of the underground lab on that really, really big TV. It looked like, you know, it looked like a flat panel TV that you'd have today. It had to be about 80 inches across. And Douglas Trumbull had come up with a way to do that all photographically. Obviously, they didn't have computer graphics, but that looked as good then as you could make it look today. It was fantastic. It really does. He's a genius when it comes to that. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, he's worked on 2001, Silent Running, Star Wars. I mean, so many movies and continues to innovate today. One of my favorite scenes goes way back to the beginning when the uh, two doctors, uh, Stone and, and Hall, are uh, dropped or lowered into Piedmont. And the film goes to a series of uh, pictures of the dead residents. Uh, all of them. I mean, it was everything. It, it, it really captured the scope of the deaths by it the shows, way they did that. It shows that. them looking into a house on like one little window on the screen, and then it shows like yeah. what they're seeing on another window. That was really cool. And it, and it went on so you could get a sense of just how many people had died in this disaster. And and another scene that I liked at the beginning, the doctor had opened the capsule and kind of let this out. I'll bet they took it to the doctor. doctor should run his office like the lunar lab i mean like how's this guy gonna know <laughs> exactly it's a real smart remark but appropriate exactly. uh, stone stone couldn't believe the guy had opened it up and like wow that reminds me of something i wanted to mention before we end today because i thought this could be the uh, prequel to another science fiction movie from the 50s which i'll tell you about in a second but another part that i liked is when they went in to visit the baby and the old guy that had survived and they had to go through that chute and into that yes. suit that was completely like self-contained. And I thought that was really cool looking and another great piece of set design. And then the last one scenes of the microscope, the microscopic photography and of the crystal and virus thing multiplying. That was really cool looking too. So, you know, there are these opportunities where the special effects or vis the visual effects could have, come across as cheesy but they did it in such a way and i think you got to credit douglas trumbull for some of that and also um the set designer boris levin uh for really bringing a sense of reality to it and the music is used in that in those sequences to just reinforce that tension oh, when totally. the thing is multiplying and the music uh echoes that it's it's great uh, do you remember when they were analyzing the uh 
the virus and it started multiplying and it was generating so much information that the computer crashed. Yes, yes. And it said error 601. Yes. I laughed so hard because, you know, on, a, on the Internet, when you get to a page that's not there, it says error 404. I thought right. that was. I thought it would have been funny if the internet error was an error six hundred one. You know, six hundred one. Somebody with a sense of humor. And the end of the movie, after the t- they're testifying, and it goes black screen, and then up pops six hundred one. Yeah, that kinda a great ending. Kind of makes you wonder, uh, like, yeah. I could see that being made into a sequel. Oh, totally, but not the remake. The remake wasn't wasn't even in the same league as this movie. No, not at all. Well, uh, one other thing was uh, when I was when I was when they were zoomed in on the virus and it looked kind of gelatinous and it was kind of vibrating like it was growing. Yeah. Yep. I like was like it's the blob. It's the beginning of the blob. <laughs> and I thought this could be the prequel to the movie The Blob. <laughs> to the movie The Blob. We 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 cut away and there's Steve McQueen in 1954 racing down the back roads in his convertible. <laughs> Trying to. Find, you're right. That was the same color. I thought, man, I thought they were going to, like, go some in a different direction where this thing was going to start growing and, like, eating, like, the equipment. I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be the blob. I, I thought that would have been awesome. Well, as it <laughs> turned out, it did, it did eat the uh, synthetic rubber, uh, polyurethane or whatever it was. Yeah, it did kind of. Uh, Disintegrated all that. I have gone back and forth on my rating of this movie, and I'm going to land on eight out of ten. Oh man, you you took my rating. I was you, oh, did you I? said it was you were going to give it a nine. I know, but after talking about it today, and the uh, science advisor and the presidential advisor, and the one dimension of those characters, I I'm going to stay. I'm going to go down a notch to eight out of ten. That's why I went with an eight out of ten. I I thought it was a really strong movie, and it had some really strong elements to it. But, you know, when I think back to Planet of the Apes and kind of the opening and ending parts of that movie and, and some of the themes that that movie tackled, and I gave that one a nine, uh, I, I still think this one tackled some pretty important themes about transparency and, uh, you know, the role of science in what the scientists should be working on versus maybe what they were working on, that type of thing. It just wasn't quite at the same level for me, so I, I went with an eight. Well, we, we are in agreement. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to go back and look at the movie to find where Michael Crichton is in the movie. He's in there, and oh, at I six know where foot nine. Is. Yep, I know where he is. Uh, in the scene where they have to pull the doctor out of doing the appendectomy, I think it was... Uh, was it That was Mark Dr. Hall. Hall. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was all scrubbed up and just about ready to cut into his patient. If you look in the background, there's a like a technician on the other side of the glass sitting down. He's got a beard and like a, a gown on for doing surgery, and that's that's Michael Crichton. Oh, and they had okay. to have him sitting down because he's like six nine. He's a huge I, guy. I sent you a note I, uh, with the question. I wonder if he played basketball as a youth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael Crichton asked Robert Wise, "Can I be in the movie?" You know, just put me in the background somewhere. I just want to, like, show up in the movie. And Robert Weiss says, well, let me think about it. I've got to find a scene where it's a crucial scene that won't get cut, and you'll you'll end up on the cutting room floor. So he put him in a scene that absolutely had to be in the movie. Had to be in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's the Andromeda Strain, another really excellent science fiction movie tackling some pretty big themes in the 1970s and 
uh, I think reflects a bit of the political and social culture of the time. Uh, next up is Westworld, another book by Michael Crichton. He doesn't appear in this uh, movie, though. This is the only movie he ever appeared in was The Andromeda Strain. Uh, but this movie has Yul Brenner as what has been quoted as being the first ever Terminator. Oh, I, did, I haven't heard that. That's true. Yeah. That's very he's true. sort of the and forerunner he's... for the Terminator. He's relentless, very relentless. Uh, and that's a great uh, uh, quote. And there's even a scene uh, near the end where he's kind of burned up, and yes, uh, you know that's very reminiscent of what happened to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first Terminator movie. So I'm, I'm interested to see what other similarities there are. One of the other lead uh, people in it, I think his name is Richard Benjamin. He plays one of the people. He became very successful as a director. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And still is, as far as I know. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, and then after that, we've we've got Logan's Run lined up. I, for the life of me, cannot remember that one, and yet I've seen it. It's just, once I get started looking at it, it'll come back to me, but it's been a while ago. I, I've seen that movie several times, and, and I, 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 I feel very similarly to how I feel about Fantastic Voyage to that movie, because I feel like, it's it's a dichotomy of filmmaking where uh, there's some aspects of it that are just really top notch and some aspects of it that are like what were they thinking, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> oh, that should be a fun one. Uh, well, for uh, now, should we sign off? You bet. Well, coming to you from Seattle, this is Matt Johnson, and from Los Angeles, Bob Johnson, and we want to wish all of you uh, happy movie watching. I take it the bomb didn't... No, it didn't. Eight seconds to spare. Hardly even exciting. What's happening? The super colony is now off the coast, moving southwest across the Pacific. Apparently Andromeda hasn't turned lethal again. At least there haven't been any reports of bizarre death. We're applying an adaptation of your antidote to it, Mark. Cloud seeding. We're seeding the clouds above Andromeda with silver iodide. The raindrops will carry the organism into the ocean. And the alkaline reaction from seawater should kill it. Just as acids are alkaline, the blood stopped it. This cloud seeding business, Stone, you absolutely sure it worked? You better. All reports continue to indicate that the experiment was successful, Senator. Then we can feel confident your so-called biological crisis is over. As far as Andromeda is concerned, yes. We have the organism at wildfire and we continue to study it. We now know beyond a doubt that other forms of life exist in the universe. Thanks to school. Yes. However, with this new knowledge, there's no guarantee that another so-called biological crisis won't occur again. Hmm. What do we do about that? Precisely, Senator. What do we do? was fun i enjoyed that i really enjoyed this movie and i uh was watching it at starbucks uh on my ipad 
Oh, yeah. And right. rather than type up, I usually type my notes on my iPad, uh, but I couldn't do that since I was watching it on the iPad. So I got out this uh, monogrammed uh, journal that Tim bought me, and I started handwriting all my notes, and it actually worked out pretty well because I had, like, the timestamps right next to everything. And That's what I've been doing is writing it out as I watch it on my iPad, and then I type them up. Good. It is a good movie. I could. I said on my note to you, I I'll never tire of watching this film. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd want to watch it every week, but a couple times a year. I I, I kind of want to watch it again. I I know what you mean. There's like some movies that you can just kind of have on in the background and while you're doing other stuff, and 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 it just sort of provides some background noise. But yeah, every once in a while you can look up and watch your favorite parts. And this, this is, is one, one like of those, that. Yeah. Another one for me that I could do that with is Casablanca. Yeah, just, we, yeah. We need to do that one in the future sometime. That'll be number 532. We should save that for a special one because I'm a little bit scared to review some of these really famous ones like Casablanca because they've been, they've been reviewed. I mean, there's been books written about it, you know? I know. <laughs> well, we'll bring our own unique folksy, folksy uh, take on it, right? Yeah. 